Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast and our first episode on Kane Black Knife. This is book three in the whatever it's called series, Kane something or other. The Axe uh, of Kane. The Axe of Kane. That's the one. I am your host, Craig, and you've heard him already, but over there, that is Drew. How's it going, Drew? Pretty good. Thanks for having me back. Well, I mean, what am I going to do? Not have you back? Although <laughs> I should have put in a Drew needs to trim his beard uh, writer in the contract. It, it, I really do. It's getting out of control. <laughs> You're like a mountain man right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, and that's not for anybody else because most of you are listening. Some of you will be watching on YouTube, but it's just for my own comfort. You know, it's uh, I can't I can't handle Drew in it'll, this state. So. It'll be trimmed by the time you get here this weekend. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I think maybe we'll uh, end up recording part two while I'm out there in Colorado. Uh, all right, Drew, Kane's Law, book three, Kane Black Knife. Um, oh, do it. I, I skipped the the uh, housekeeping. Should I do housekeeping? You know what? I'll do housekeeping at the end. Okay? okay. Let's just talk about the freaking book, and then if anybody cares about the housekeeping, they can keep listening at the end. All right, Drew, I have. My first question that is chambered and ready to fire for you, and it's been on my mind since about halfway through this reading. Okay, so we ended on part or at the end of part one, which yes. is convenient. There are two parts to this book. We read part one. I love it when that lines up like that. Okay, about halfway through part one, I had this phrase keep going through my head. You're not the only one who uses it. There are also some people on Discord who have said things. Uh, of this nature, but you keep using the word fun when you talk about cane black knife. Now, uh, yeah, there are portions of it that like, there are funny moments. He has some great one-liners, some zingers, uh, that are, that are, uh, that I appreciate, but I'm curious <laughs> if you're referring to that sort of thing, or if you're like, Oh no, this story is fun. And I'm like, I don't know if I would put it that way. So defend yourself, Drew. Why is this a fun book? Uh, so part of it for sure is uh, there's a lot more humor in this mm. one. Uh, there's just straight up more action. And mm -hmm. a lot of the action doesn't have the same like sense of doom tied to right. it as in Blade of Taishal, where where half of this book is retreat from the Bodecan, which is something we know has already happened. We know it launched Kane's career. Like there isn't the same kind of uh, dread when you're reading through it because you know, he's going to survive and he's going to go on to have this huge mega career. So in that sense, like when I think of fun in this book, I think of Kane having his one-on-one -on -one against the black knife outside the gates of hell. And he, you know, like, he just like smacks down this this black knife and and like totally so, embarrasses him and and you're like oh wow you go and the whole thing of course it's in his head and he's cracking wise all over the place and like and and it, there's a lot more of that kind of stuff which was basically absent for Blade of Taisha. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. So simple as that then. Yeah. So for those who uh, are following along without having read the book, Kane Black Knife refers to the Black Knife clan of uh, Ogrillo, uh, yeah. the ogres, basically, of this uh, overworld. And in book two, in Blade of Taishal, he befriends a Black Knife Ogrillo in prison. Uh, yeah. And he gets adopted into the Black Knife clan, what we didn't know is what Kane had done to the Black Knife clan a yes. generation <laughs> earlier, right? And so this is the story that we're getting is, uh, as you said, retreat from the Boadecan, uh, which is a, like an area, basically an area on the map yeah. that um, that the Ogrilla are uh, presumably going to end up chasing him out of somehow. He's going to have to retreat from the Boadecan. Or maybe they will. I don't know how it's going to go. But it's a giant battle, basically him and a half dozen others, some actors, some not. Um, and it's them against a giant mass of snarling, tusked ogre warriors. Um, so that, that's about where we're at. Uh, at the end of part one, he and uh, a couple of the women in his crew have been captured. 
there's some really messed up ogrillo uh, uh, religious ceremony stuff going on. It's it's all yep. gross. Cain <laughs> anyway, is nailed that's, to a cross. Exactly. Cain is nailed to, I think he calls it a Y-shaped cross. Yep. Um, anyway, so that's just to give people a little bit of footing. Uh, it's kind of a last stand situation. Yeah. Um, so anyway, you know what I thought of and we'll come back to the whole fun idea, I'm sure, as we go. But I wanted to run this by you, Drew, and then I'll turn you loose on the book. Uh, have you ever played Doom? Uh, a, a very tiny bit. Okay. I've so, seen a lot of it. I've only played a little bit. Okay. So are you talking, when you say you've seen a lot of it, are you talking about the 90s classic Doom and Doom 2? Or are you talking about the new Fingled stuff? Okay. I've seen right. like the OG, you know, 2D, yeah. uh, 2D sprites shooter yeah. Perfect. all the way Perfect. up to the most recent, like crazy, uh, like 3D platformer, <laughs> Doom yes. Eternal, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, Doom Eternal, yeah. Doom Eternal. <laughs> well, we'll get there in just a sec. <laughs> so, uh, so for those who remember, there's a reason I'm bringing this up. Uh, in the 90s, Doom, this classic shooter game, very gory. Uh, and very, it's addictive and it's fun. Uh, you know, it's just, it was revolutionary at the time and yeah. people had a lot of fun with it. And the joke behind it was, um, just how superhuman this guy was. You're just mowing down armies of demons and these massive <laughs> things, you know, you're just some guy with a gun, right? Uh, but you're mowing all these things down and having a great time doing it. And that that was it. Like that was basically the storyline of the game. Is you you know you've gone to hell and you need to defeat a bunch of demons to et cetera et cetera. Doesn't matter. So when the remake comes out, twenty sixteen, I think it was uh, Bethesda puts out a new Doom game, and it, again it's just called Doom. But they lean into that and they make a kind of tongue in cheek, uh, somewhat jokey uh, mythology around your memory of the 90s doom game where now there it's there's this cult that has built up among demons uh, around the doom slayer and just this this figure that strikes terror into the heart of demons because he's, he cannot yeah. be killed he cannot be stopped and if you see him you are gonna die that sort of thing and doom eternal takes it another step where now people on earth literally view him as a religious figure it's all very it's hilarious and really fun at the same time and the entire his entire character is summed up in the catch or the catchphrase the tagline of the game which is rip and tear like that's that's <laughs> what he does <laughs> he just kills demons yep yep so anybody who's played the game, you know, they're following along. Hopefully I explained it well to people who haven't played it because that's how I feel reading this, uh, where I wasn't, I wasn't sure what you were talking about when you said, oh, it's book three is all about the retreat of the from the Bodeck. And uh, I was like, well, how's that going to work? Is it a prequel or whatever? <laughs> but it's kind of this clever way of, of transmitting to us the mythology of Cain, the origin story of Capital C Kane, the Kane yes. that we've come to know, right? Uh, and it yeah. reminded me very much of he's not a hero; he's just a force of nature, a force of will who mows down anything in his path, uh, much like the Doomslayer. So there you go. There's my tie-in from other pop culture venues. What do you think? No, I think that's absolutely spot on, and that's why, like, it, that's playing Doom like this, like horribly graphic, gory. <laughs> just violence-riddled video game is exactly the same kind of fun as Kane Black Knight. Um, now, I should say, that's that's exactly the same kind of fun as Retreat from the Bodekin. But right. there are two different things going on here. We're three books into the series now, and all three books have presented us with a different narrative structure. Right. Uh, oh my gosh, yeah. You know, this one is a split. It's, you know, uh, we have Retreat from the Bodekin, and then... And, and so have... it's separated into then and now. 
So yeah. you have then, which is the retelling, uh, or you're kind of rewatching it, right, uh, through mm -hmm. one of these mind cube things, and then the that 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 was then. The now portions deal with the actual uh, aftermath of Blade of Taishal. Yes. Uh, and interestingly, not only do we have this split timeline, both timelines are in first person this time. Mm. In Heroes Die, we had a split between Overworld and Earth. And those were split in first for most of Overworld and third for Earth and when Kane is offline on Overworld. Right. In Blade of Taishal we get, again, a split, first and third, but we we have, you know, things like Delian mm -hmm. and Kirindal and, and Toa Saitel. Like, we have lots more points of view. Here, it's all Kane, and it's all first person. But there's a wrinkle. Oh, man. Okay. Each then chapter starts with Retreat from the Bodekin, Partial, you are Kane. Featured actor, professional Hari Michelson, master, not for distribution under penalty of law. Copyright 2187, Adventures Unlimited Incorporated, all rights reserved. This is an indicator that this is somebody in the present timeline watching a cube of Retreat from the Bodecan. Right. So there, there is a somebody. We don't know who yet is, for one reason or another, reviewing Kane's most famous adventure. There's, and, a, and, there's a part of me that wants it to be Kane. Oh, oh interesting. So I mean, go he, on. there is certainly a theme, like when we get into the, the now stuff, uh, because the now is Kane going back to the Bodecan, back to Perthens Ford. Right. And kind of grappling with his memories and the guilt and, and the fallout of his actions and the consequences. Um, but I was, I was just going to add like one more little thing that I find a lot of fun. Okay. The very first page after the title page, Kane Black Knife, okay. is this. For those who are watching. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, for those uh... who are not. It is a rating, like a... Like a video game would, rating. Yeah. And the adventure depicted in this recording has received a rating of UV slash X from the Studio Ratings Advisory Board for full sensory experiences of torture, sexual perversion, extreme graphic violence, and adult language. <laughs> I love that I love adult that. language <laughs> tossed in after all well, it's, this. <laughs> uh, how, how amazing is it when you see something for like a hard R movie and it's, uh, it's kind of like that. It's graphic violence, extreme sexual scenarios and smoking. And you're like, yeah, yeah. At, a, at a certain point, I think <laughs> where the smoking doesn't really register anymore. It's like between me and Jeff Bezos, we are billionaires. <laughs> Right. I'm the smoking in this situation. Yeah. And, but it gets even better because then you read the fine print on this. The viewer's access of the images and sensations contained in this recording constitutes a legal agreement in which the viewer fully indemnifies and holds harmless Adventures Unlimited Incorporated and all subsidiaries for any and all damages actually or potentially resultant to said access, including but not limited to emotional trauma, physical injury and mental disability. Permanent or temporary. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, um, it, it's it's a great, I mean, it is funny, uh, but it's also a great way to tell the reader. It, and honestly, like at this point, if you're on book three, you should know what you're getting into. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I would say... There, there have been worse images, especially in Blade of Taishal, like worse oh, yeah. moments, visuals and whatnot. But we haven't had, to my recollection, you, tell me if I'm wrong, but as far as battles go, like hand-to-hand -hand combat violence, the only thing I can think of that comes close to what we've seen in Kane Black Knife was the fate of, what's her name, the swordsman? Talon. Talon in book one. Yeah. Uh, that might be the most... Uh, not that there hasn't the, been other the episodes of violence. Dungeon, possibly in, in the first book too. 
Yeah. Also yeah. with Talon. So anyway, um, but, yes. but I guess my point being in Blade of Taishal, it was more like <laughs> whatever the phrase was, was it emotional, emotional damage. Um, <laughs> this is more like physical in your face, guts flying around kind of violence, pissing on corpses and all sorts of just <laughs> yeah. horrific stuff uh, going on. Right. In battle. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and like this, this kind of goes back to my point of like the fun thing. Blade of Taishal and Kane Black Knife both depict scenes of really awful violence. Yes. Including sexual violence sometimes. Yes. But I, I, I can't quite put my finger on why. Those scenes don't feel like they have the same um, like level of perversion that they did in Blade of Taishal. Yep. Like here... You know, you're talking about, we don't have to go into details, but the, the Black Knife ritual. Uh, yeah. Like, it's when, you, when you stop and think about that, you're like, huh. Yeah. But it doesn't feel anywhere near as bad as, for instance, Kohlberg and Tanelkoth in what used to be the hospital in Blade of Taishat. You know? Yeah. I think there are reasons why it feels different. Uh, and... Blade of Taishal just leaned so heavily into Kane's emotions. How is he feeling about what's going on? Mm. Uh, and that guides you to how you're feeling about what's going on. And because of his love for his wife, uh, because of his um, maybe regret for some of the choices he's made through his life uh, and him trying to come to terms with that, it heightens when you come across a scene you know, like uh, when his wife is killed halfway through uh, Blade of Taishal, it's suddenly it's not just violent. It's it's emotional damage. Whereas in yeah. this one, um, Kane, we're, we're flashing back to a Kane who has not yet come to regret his career path and his decisions. Uh, he's he's somebody who is trying actively to use sex and violence and whatnot to uh increase his standing uh he's trying maximum bad he wants maximum bad and because of that it's it's i'm not saying this is a good thing you know it's a bit like uh it one of the worst things about breaking bad the all-time greatest television show is that it tricks you into cheering for a depraved drug dealer um who's doing and saying awful things to, you know, anybody who has ever loved him, you know, or come across him. Um, it, it's a little bit similar that way where you come across these horrific acts of violence or, you know, this, the ritual, the Agrilla ritual, and you're in his head going, yeah, that's what's happening. But what I care about is how I'm going to get out of it, how I'm going to use this to further my career, uh, yep. you're not wallowing with him the way that you did in book two. Right. But then you get to him in the current timeline and he very much does wallow, but it's oh, yeah. from more of a remove. Yeah. He's not immediately seeing these depredations. He's seeing the effects of slavery and, you know, the, the mutilation of Ogreloy where in, in order to be eligible for jobs, for work they have permits. to remove their fighting claws. And to, genitals. Like, yeah. 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 Well, they, they have, they have to cast, they have to castrate themselves if they want the good jobs. Yeah. Um, and if you don't do it, then you're only eligible for, you know, like dock workers and miners and stuff like that. It's, that yeah. was a really interesting passage. I, I don't think there's a lot to dwell on yet, but the idea that, um, uh, that it's this really sinister way to breed out traits that you don't want in a certain yeah. population by only the like, smart ones want the good jobs. Exactly. So you get rid of their ability to breed. You yeah, exactly. The smart ones now can't have kids. And so, yeah, eventually, Oh, it's, Oh, it's gross. Oh, it's gross. And really calls to mind some speaking of sinister, some really sinister stuff from say the early part of the 20th century, and ideas around uh, eugenics and yep. all of that. Because uh, yeah. eugenics was not just about 
improving the human race. It was about, uh, usually it was about improving one part of the human race, literally and explicitly to the detriment of others. Uh, Really gross. Yeah. And, and the, the framing that he puts it in here under the very watchful eye of the Knights of Krill, who in a traditional fantasy sense, these are the upright paladins, the honorable Mm -hmm warriors who who have healing powers and fight for the sun god and you know <laughs> yeah. and all of that and the more you get to see them the more you get to know them you're like wow these guys suck <laughs> like it, it it's he he really plays with expectation and and subverts traditional fantasy tropes here while playing into them like if if this is a D campaign these guys are like vengeance paladins basically right you know and and typically, those are the guys who are, are like good alignment. And halfway through the book here, there's a real question of whether you can say these guys are good. Like <laughs> they certainly there's... view themselves as that. They in in one sense for like the geopolitics of overworld, where there's a real threat of extinction for humanity in a world where all these other fantasy races are ascendant over humanity. The Knights of Krill are are like a bastion of human hope. But how do we, you know, like, how are we maintaining that hope here? I don't know that um, it, it's possible that it's because I'm reading them in the context that I am, you know, with Kane and his point of view. But I never quite bought into that Knights of Krill mythology because they introduced pretty early on the idea that uh, that krill this god krill who can heal you and give you the strength of 10 men and and all this stuff uh will withdraw his love so to speak which i just made sound dirtier than i meant but anyway he will (laughs) withdraw his his love from you if you fill in the blank and basically it's like if you're not a martial um violence oriented uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know, the, like a knight of Krill just seems like they give themselves to violence, much like the Ogreloi do in the book, right? It's just they they pretend to have higher ideals. And and it's like, if you don't play the game, if you're not, if you, if you're not going to die fighting, then Krill will withdraw from you. That's the impression I got. Is that not right? Okay. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think you're necessarily right, but I don't think you're necessarily wrong either. Uh, I would not equate them to the Ogreloi in terms of violence. Uh, the Knights of Krill are much more ritualized. There's a lot more of the like, you know, I only have the countenance of Krill upon me if I am engaged in honorable combat. Mm. And, and the reason Turkild gets wrecked by Kane in the in the little prison cell is because he wasn't engaging in honorable combat and Quill Krill withdrew his love and allowed Kane to win. I see. Okay. Um so there is there is like a real religious power going on here. But that's also not to say that like you can't work within the bounds of their rules and be a dick, like <laughs> right, <laughs> and do awful things. Which so, they yeah, they very much do. <laughs> <laughs> but but then, so we we've already talked a little bit about Turkild here, and and of course you've seen uh, Markham, who uh, a one of my favorite lines in the entire book. It is it is just absolutely beautiful. Let me pull this up. Um, remind me who Markham is just, he was the guy who greeted Kane when he woke up from being healed after being beat up in the prison. Right. Okay. And they have a long philosophical discussion together. They do. And he, yeah, he leads him up to the top of the, yeah. The oh, that's right. That's right. He gets to go meet their, their prophet basically. Anvas. Oh, and we'll the guy heard a moment <laughs> and the guy he he realizes halfway there that the reason this guy is so pissed off at him is because he wants to go meet the prophet and he's not allowed to and this uh heathen Cain gets to so the first time markham is introduced Cain like 
wakes up and he rolls over and he looks. Seated in a severe chair by a severe window was a severe man in severe armor. I love that character introduction. <laughs> that is so perfect for 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 Markham. Like he is severe. He is exactly that. <laughs> and <laughs> and he's and he's also like he's kind of a dick. And uh but then we get to the the purific apex and we meet Angvas. And she is not what Keen expected. She certainly wasn't what I expected. Yeah. Uh, after you know meeting the first two knights of Krill, what what are your impressions of her? Worldly and jaded, tired. Um, and we find out later in part one that it's abnormal that she's been. What's what's the title? What's her title? Uh, the champion of Krill. The champion of Krill. Yeah, that it's apparently unusual that she's been the champion of Krill for three years. Um, yeah, they so, don't have a long life expectancy, right? Um, <laughs> and so when yeah, when we meet her, I it it felt a bit like um, you know, you ever watch a documentary about like a cult, and <laughs> it, it comes to light that the cult leader is just super cynical, doesn't believe a single word they're saying, but they they like having the acolytes and you know the the money and the fame pour in. Um, that's what she sounded a bit like, you know, kind of rolling her eyes at her own religion a little bit. Um, yeah, so anyway, that was my impression. Interesting. Is that not correct? Uh, But, 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 but but that is complicated by, I'm not saying she doesn't believe a word that she's saying it's complicated because on overworld, when you talk about a God like Krill or Taishal or, uh, what's the, the river goddess. Um, these are real entities that grant real powers that can be seen and felt. And it's not the way, so religion and gods don't work the same way on overworld that they do here, uh, where there's a very real consequence and benefit to believing in Krill and following Krill, right? So it is complicated by that. So I'm not saying that it's, I'm not saying that she doesn't believe a word that she's saying. She's just very cynical about the way she talks about it and uses it. Yeah, that's fair. Because she for sure is a believer. Right. I mean, how could she not be? She gets the power. Yeah. Um, but Why do you ask? Well, we're going to be seeing more of her. Uh, she is one of my favorite characters in the series outside of Kane. She okay. is fascinating. And I think this first encounter with her is quite fascinating for exactly mm. that per you know that that reason. Uh, she she gets built up through several chapters through the filter of other knights of Krill, and there's all this pomp and circumstance, and he, he has to do like the symbolic cleansing by swimming through like a pool of blood before he can go up to see her, and and he has to wear like a a, a, a ritual cloak to do it and and then you know the even just the symbolism of where he meets her on the top of a spire created with magic by Milkoff right plated in platinum with this like mythological sword in the stone uh you know planted in the top of it and 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 it's it's this just unreal religious experience but their conversation is so direct and and though you don't know what the actual history is between perth and claylock and kane you know it is not amicable (laughs) uh and she's the niece right and she does look up to him i i love the uh i think when when he first meets her and she introduces herself as Angvas Claylock, and he goes, any relation? And she says, that great man has the honor of being my uncle. <laughs> she, the first thing is that great man. And you're like, oh boy. <laughs> but she also kind of, there, there's like a kindred spirit thing going on there where she's she recognizes the world weariness and, and the regret in Kane, Dominic mm-hmm. Shade. I think it's worth pointing out. Dominic Shade is the name he's using here. 
uh, she recognizes that in him and she feels at least some of that as well. She recognizes that some of the things the Knights of Krill are doing to maintain power here are not great. You know, they're, they're playing two sides against each other. Like, uh, there's the whole deal with freedom's face and, and these like on Conan insurgents in Perthens Ford that they know about. And it, in fact, are like manipulating in turn. And, and that's what Turkild's job is. And like, so she knows that while she is the living symbol of their honor, there isn't necessarily that honor in reality to the core of the Knights of Krill. And I think that's eating at her. Hmm. Okay. So, but you're saying she's going to show up a lot in the second half then? Yeah. Yeah. This is not the last time Kane and, and Angvas are going to cross paths. Right. Um, okay. Anything else you want to say about her? Because I want to talk about her opponent a little bit. Um, Oh, uh, I don't have anything more to say about her. I'll save something regarding this scene for later in the episode. Okay. All right. You're saying her opponent. Are you talking about Orbeck? You betcha. Yeah. <laughs> we should talk about Orbeck. Oh, boy. Because scene. <laughs> Orbeck. Yes, the scene when we finally get to Orbeck is unexpected. So to catch people up, the reason Kane is here in the first place is because he heard that his adopted brother Orbeck was in trouble. Uh, he gets to what's the name of the town? Perthens Ford. Perthens Ford. He gets to Perthens Ford. He knows that Orbeck is in trouble. Introduces himself as Orbeck's brother, and everybody's raising their eyebrows at that, <laughs> right? Because Orbeck yeah. is uh, an ogre, not uh, an ogrillo. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so, yeah, he's my brother. What? <laughs> what about it? <laughs> and so, <laughs> nobody will quite tell him what's going on, and he's trying to piece it all together. He finally finds uh finally finds the the ogre um uh orbeck gosh why does that name not sticky enough that I, orbeck should be easy to remember anyway he finds orbeck with his surprise wife and it's this whole drew explain what is going on in this scene because orbeck is having relations with his wife kane interrupts it <laughs> <laughs> it's all very it's all very ogre style <laughs> it's yeah. it's really something uh, and but then we find out that orbeck may have adopted kane as a black knife and they may be brothers that does not mean that they are happy to see each other that they like each other that this is a merry reunion so what is going on in this scene oh oh and i should say he's in prison because yeah he tried to start an uprising against uh, the Krillians. And, and because he very specifically like emptied a clip from an automatic like uh, pistol like an Uzi gun, yeah into Ogvas Claylock. <laughs> <laughs> but because she's the champion of Krill, she lived. Um yeah, no, uh he mistakes were made. Um <laughs> So I'm trying to like decide what I think I'm allowed to say here. In this scene, Kane confronts Orbeck over his foolishness and is like, look, go bow, bow the knee, or she is going to murder you eight ways from Sunday in your duel. And you're my brother and I don't want you dead. And Orbeck's like, look, me dying is the point here. Me dying on my feet is proving that the Black Knives are not broken. We will not bow. We will not give submission to the Knights of Krill. And me dying like this will free them. And Kane's like, look, dude, you never really cared about the Black Knives before this. What's going on? Who's this Ogrillo woman? Uh, not going <laughs> to use the word that Kane uses. Um, well, it's it, apparently, it's very consistent. Sorry, I want to stop right it there. It is because consistent. That is the word. They, yes. They they speak uh, of themselves in dog terms, shall we say. They do. And yeah, anyway. Yes. All right. Yeah. Go on. Um, <laughs> uh, he's like, you didn't care about any of this. Who is she? And how did she get you to care about it? And the more he talks, the more puzzle pieces start getting put together. 
And he realizes and he says, look, you're getting played. You're not the one in charge here. She is. And she doesn't have your best interests at heart. That's what I'm going to say about that. And it's, I think it's a pretty powerful scene because Orbeck basically says, I, I don't care. I don't believe you. This is, this is my wife. How dare you? Uh, pregnant come, wife. Pregnant wife. How dare you come in here with no prior knowledge of the situation and, you know, within minutes assume that you know that you have my best interests at heart, that you understand what's going on and that she doesn't. Uh, it, if you step back and consider Kane not as the hero of the story, but as a character in the story, yeah, you're like, dude, I'm with you, Orbeck. Who's this guy? You know, just because he's the protagonist in the story doesn't mean that he is omniscient. Uh, and I'm so glad you brought up that perspective. Uh, I want to talk about this scene from the perspective of Kaneism. Okay. Oh, yes. Now we're talking. And, now, now let me plug our Patreon feeds. Okay. Oh, yes. We'll do a little, oh, uh, we'll yes. do a little um, uh, uh, housekeeping here and say that we recorded two episodes. I think I mentioned this at the beginning of uh, the last release, but we recorded, uh, I guess, three episodes on uh on uh what's it called the blade of taishal blade of taishal we actually did four because we also did chapter that's, zero we did chapter zero <laughs> and that's that's right so the discussion on chapter zero and the discussion on chapter 14 i think it was yeah uh are both patreon exclusives and so if you're if you're a patron at all at any level you get access to those um so you should go check those out so what we we dived i don't know about dived deep but we did a, an hour long good swim in concepts of canism and what that all means so go check yes. that out all right go on so we're three books into the series and there have been three central conflicts set up for each book in book one cain wants to save his wife in book two cain wants to save his daughter in book three cain wants to save his brother right there's a theme going on here. Now, in book one, did Kane's wife really want him to save her? <laughs> no, she thought she had it handled. In book two, Kane's mm. daughter very much did. That was one of the things she always held on to throughout it. She would remark, and it would piss Avery Shanks off. Daddy's going to come for me. Daddy, right. do you know what daddy's going to do to you for this? But here, again, does Kane's brother want to be saved? Mm -mm. And we have an added wrinkle. What is Orbeck's driving motivation here? His wife. His mm. children. Yeah. Dang it. Oh, this is good. This is good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if we're uh, looking at Kane's attitude and Kaneist philosophy as an overarching thing... Of course, Kane is pissed off at Orbeck for this because Orbeck is acting like a Kaneist. But in typical Kane fashion, it's hypocritical. <laughs> because this is exactly what he would do. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite thing about Kaneism, is that Kane hates it. <laughs> yeah. He, he lives by it almost perfectly, but he hates it. Yeah. Um, a, we're, we're all bundles of contradiction, right? And Kane is no different. Mm. Um, Ooh, 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 okay. So you've given me something to to consider, to chew on with Orbeck's motivations. Do we get anything else from that chapter on that? Or am I going to have to wait to keep reading about that? Uh, I don't think we got anything else from that chapter. Orbeck basically told him like, all right, that's enough. Get uh, go, go jump in a pond. Uh <laughs> Which is it, like, it's what, a day or two from when Orbeck is supposed to... Uh, duel the with night the champion before. the night before that's right so yeah. there's really no time going on here yeah okay so uh, we'll keep our eye on that going forward uh the motivations family motivations Ooh, it's like a fast and furious movie right it's really just all about family <laughs> okay. um, <laughs> all right dom <laughs> yeah you're darn right um you're dom right uh sorry 
Uh, what was I going? Oh, well, okay. Go on. Nope. Go on. I was going to radically change gears. So if you have something else well, on so, that subject, like uh, I, I want to talk about the 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 parallel storylines we have going on here in light of this. I think for most people, it's likely that when you're reading through Kane Black Knight for the first time, Retreat from the Bodecan is 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 like the driving force. It's like, oh, I want to get back to that. I want to see what happens next, you know. And then because it's it's just shock fall of action. Right. And then the Perthens Ford stuff is much more contemplative. It's slower. It's a lot of like walking around and having conversations. It's also and more mysterious. You don't like it's harder to piece together what's going on and who's talking about what now? What what do you Knights of Krill and Krill does what yeah. you know, just there's more confusion in the now. Because portion. a lot of the necessary context for it is stuff we haven't gotten to yet in Retreat from the Bodecan. Right, right. We're, we're told, like, the first chapter, he's he's on a riverboat going into Perthens Ford, and he finds out they call that river the Cane Way. And you're like, <laughs> what? what? <laughs> you know, and and you know he's got this history with Perth and Claylock, the guy uh, who, who's the namesake for the town. And... And you know that it's not a good history somehow. So there were, there was some mistakes were made, as you said. Dislike, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so a lot of what's going on there, you're just like kind of wandering. Uh, but I think because of that, like it, it, it really depends on what kind of reader you are and what about these books is most attractive. If you're reading these as like popcorn, yeah, the retreat from the boat, I can stuff literally made to be entertainment. Yeah. As well as to be a commentary on violent entertainment, but versus like, I, I find certainly on my fifth or sixth reread, the Perth and sports stuff to be way more fascinating because there are still wrinkles that I'm uncovering here. Can I, this actually ties into what I was about to start talking about. Um, mm -hmm. And that is the commentary on violent entertainment. Mm -hmm. And there's something structurally that goes on in the recording, the then portions, the retreat from the Bodecan, that points to that kind of a commentary. And it's in oh, I, what's the oh, where's my copy of the book? I, I think I set it on the table over there. Um, it, it's tracking or scanning or uh, what is it when you jump in the recording? Oh, scanning yes. forward, right? So one of the reasons that this book is shorter than the others <laughs> is this brilliant. I think it's a brilliant thing he does. I can't read it. What does it say? Scanning it says forward? scanning forward. It's scanning yeah. forward. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. I'll get there in a sec. Um, uh, one of the reasons this book is shorter and that it moves so quickly is because in the recording version, as you say, somebody is watching this recording of the retreat from the Bodecan and it'll, it'll give that uh, thing that you mentioned, the, the uh, title at the front, you are Kane. And this yeah. is the recording of the retreat from the Bodecan copyright this, whatever. Um, and you'll go through a scene and Kane will give a rousing speech and then they'll all kind of, um, get set for this Ogrillo attack scanning forward. You're in the middle of the Ogrillo attack and stuff is mm -hmm. burning. There's explosions, heads are getting chopped off. Um, and then finally, you know, he's it, the, the final scene that I can remember in that portion is when, oh, I guess before he's captured <laughs> is when he and what's her name? Ma, it starts with an M. Maraid. Mar Ma, okay. Maraid. Um, or Marad. He and she, I, I think the audio says in Marad. the audio book, he says Marad. Yeah. It doesn't matter either way. Uh, the two of them are, uh, they're, they're. He, she's healing him through the power of Krill. Oh, oh and what a scene! Oh. He doesn't, he doesn't really care about any of that because he's so blank and horny that he can't <laughs> concentrate on how broken his body is because he just wants to have sex with this woman. <laughs> yeah. And 
um, and manages to make that happen. And there's this, I, I'm going to go ahead and call it an intentionally awkward sex scene. It's, oh, definitely. It, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's awkward. Uh, and you get to kind of like the climax and oh, deep breaths are taken, scanning forward. And <laughs> then, okay, let's go on with our adventure, right? Okay, now we can leave the room. And it skips the boring stuff. And it makes the book move. It also provides a little bit of mystery. You know, you're wondering what what happened in between those scenes? Why are we scanning forward? Wasn't that important? But it's mm -hmm. at the same time, a commentary on violent uh, and sexualized entertainment. Salacious entertainment. Salacious entertainment. That's a great word for it. Where um, <laughs> it's, I'm trying, I'm trying to be, uh, I'm trying to be diplomatic <laughs> here with my language, but yeah, people, some people just skip to the good stuff, right? The quote unquote good stuff. And yep. there's some commentary to be made there about how he structures the flashback versus, as you say, the Perthens Ford present moment stuff where yes. he, there's, there's the promise of violence. There is going to be this uh, duel between Orbeck and what's her name? Um, Ongvas. Ongvas, thank you. There, there will be this stuff happening. In the meantime, there's a lot to sort through emotionally and philosophically, and psychologically. You have to, you have to, stop and sit with this stuff and consider this stuff in that portion of the book. Whereas in retreat from the Bodeck and it's like, let's get to the good stuff. Let's mutilate uh, some in, corpses. In the let's immortal words of Todd. Let's get to the punching. That's uh, a Ken, but yeah, or that's Ken. Yeah. That's yeah, Ken. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Let's get to the punching. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. It's so the first time I came across scanning forward, my first instinct was, well, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We were just getting to the good stuff. But <laughs> I think I've read enough and consumed enough violent entertainment that I'm like, no, the good stuff is what happens in between. But I definitely remember, you know, hey, I was a teenager. I was a young person at one point who loved the sex and violence, the right. rock and roll of um, of my stories. Uh, so I I get it. But I think at this point in my life, I'm more of a Perthens Ford kind of guy than a Boadekin kind of guy. Yeah, totally. And and like you said, I, I it's a hundred percent intentional on the part of Stover that he is he's doing deliberate things. And and when you mentioned it adds a bit of mystery of like, you know, what happened in the intervening mm. time, I would say it adds yet another layer of mystery in what are the uh motivations and desires of whomever is clicking fast forward here. Yeah. And why, why is this person watching and cutting where they are? Mm. Oh, is it? Well, no, she, there are more than just hints that she dies. The uh, Murad, Murad, the love interest. Um, there's I... a, I want to say right at the end of section one, there's uh, some indication that like she died, but maybe he just thinks she died. I, anyway, I guess what I'm getting to is, could it be her? Is she rewatching this? Um, uh, no, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it happened in this part of the book. Uh, we are told she survived retreat from the Bodecan, but she was tortured to death by Bairn. Oh, ooh, ooh, yikes. That is, I, ooh, pick your poison. An Ogrillo torture yeah. or a Baron torture? I think I might yeah. take the Ogrillos. Yeah. That guy was messed um, up. But, so I, I will tell you, the first time I read this book, uh, I think I mentioned it on our Blade episode, uh, the part two episode, I totally missed that Avery Shanks killed Kohlberg. Oh, yeah. The first yeah, time yeah. I read Blade of Taishal. And so reading through this, <laughs> I just assumed it was Kohlberg watching. Oh. <laughs> That's and awesome. I was very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he, he eaten. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. What a scene. It turned out Avery Shanks quite liked the taste of blood. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All yeah, right, Drew, yeah. are you ready for me to blow your mind? Ooh, uh, heck yeah. 
we've been talking for 50 minutes already. Uh, so that means it's probably about time to start uh, into final oh. thoughts, anything you're oh. looking. Well, you've read these books enough times that <laughs> that really what I should be asking for is what are you excited for me to read? <laughs> like what? Without giving anything away, is there anything you can tell me about? Here's what you should look for. Here's what you should be excited for in part two. Um, kind of looking forward. I I will say for my part, as you consider that, what I'm excited for is I haven't seen any retreats happen yet. This is all about the retreat from the Bodecan, which is this region right there in the castle. The, the, what do they call it? The vertical castle or something like that. The, the vertical city. Yeah. Vertical city. Um, they're in the vertical city, which kind of reminds me of like Minas Tirith or something with all these different layers and levels that go up. Uh, and nobody's retreating yet. They're all just dying, <laughs> right? Or getting captured at the, at the end of the, this part. And so I am, I, so is Kane going to end up retreating or is he going to inflict so much devastation on the Black Knives that they end up retreating from the Boadekin and he's chasing them out? What, what does that title mean? I still, I... I could see myself being frustrated by not knowing halfway through the book what that title even means. But in this case, I kind of feel like, oh, it's building. Oh, we're getting somewhere here. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see what retreat I'll make, means. I'll make an explicit promise that we'll talk about that title in <laughs> within the second half of the book. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. And it's also, I have to consider that that title is it that title came from Adventures Unlimited. This is a marketing title. Uh, Correct. This is not, it, it, Kane did not name this. Uh, it was the company that named it. And so what are they going to try to sell to their audience? Yes. Now, there is one thing I really, really need to talk about. <laughs> okay. And we're going to go back to this scene on the Purific Apex with Ongvas and Kane. That's right. Dominic okay, you shape. did have something else you wanted to say. He he makes this deal with her. He says, you know, if I'm going to help you out, you need to give me authority. Mm. I don't want to get pushed around by these... Knights of Krill. Yeah. He uses a different word, but... <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> In typical Cade fashion. <laughs> but she finally acquiesces. And in doing so... She reached to lay her hand lightly on that angled handle, fingers curling gently around it in what was almost a caress. The universe snapped into focus. And from here, the rest of the scene is this, like, crazy, disjointed mess of mm. the soft prickle of blood-rusted wool against skin, drying tight and stretched. The damp, glazed chill of the platinum under feet colder than the breeze that smelled of coal smoke and rain. Eyes shrouded with limp, wet hair, the same bleak brown as the robes. You know, and it's, these are physical sensations from her perspective coming to Kane, and he's freaking out. And he says, I'll, I'll censor this since this is a legendarium thing. <laughs> what the F did you just do? Because these were the words I always said now. These were the words I'd been planning to say at this moment since the birth of the universe. And by the time she spoke, I already knew, and she talks. And it happened. The flash of gray steel and the jewel spray of blood and firelight blossomed inside my head, blazing the silent anguish of a wounded god, as it was going to happen 500 years ago. Again. And again from my mouth came the words I always said now. And we, we have this crazy conversation. Mm -hmm. I have always been here because there is no past. All that exists of the past is the web of flow whose black knots are the structure of the present. I will always be here because there is no future. Everything that is about to happen never will. Now is all there is. I have always sat in the rubble of the financial block, facing down the length of God's way over the carnage and ruin of Old Town, perched on a blast-folded curve of a silk car hull with Casal's cold steel across my lap. And it goes through. I face the god in the infinite now. 
I say again, forever. It's an echo of my past, or something. Let the thing go, will you? She released it, and time leaked back into the universe. Remember that. <laughs> it's hard to forget. It was, uh, <laughs> I, I remember being intensely interested by that scene. And I, I, I shouldn't say it's hard to forget because it's not. It's because he goes on with the story and you forget about that. Um, you this forget... is 28% of the way into the book. Right. And anyway, so, yeah, oh boy. Um, he's meddling with forces beyond our comprehension at this point. Yeah, okay, so. Or she is meddling with forces. I met Matthew Stover. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll see, yeah, we'll see where that goes. Um, okay. Okay, uh, me, I will remember just that. Just double check my, my highlighted things here to make sure. That like, you didn't miss something. While you do that, let me say this, Drew, because you uh, were kind enough to censor yourself on a Legendarium episode, something that I <laughs> occasionally fail to do, but that's neither here nor there. I, I want to mention this. Um, Matthew Stover makes... Uh, he makes his own way <laughs> in terms of profanity <laughs> in this book. Okay. Yeah. He, <laughs> so the swearing in this book is, um, it's really something. <laughs> it has to be seen to be believed, right? However, I want to posit something that this is one of those, the student became the master situations. Remember a year and a half, two years ago when we had Scott Lynch on to talk about uh, heroes die yeah, sure. and, and you were there anyway. I hadn't thought much about it until this book in particular. First of all, there is a great moment where Kane uses the phrase F me like a goat. And you're like, wait yeah. a minute, that's Baron's phrase. He that's stole Baron's that thing. from literally the worst character in the entire series <laughs> with the possible exception of Kohlberg, who isn't real at that point. But anyway, yeah. um, so, so there's, there's, some real swearing going on. I would say that Scott Lynch read this book as we know he did and took a lot of inspiration from it. I think Scott Lynch took Matthew Stover's penchant for cursing and elevated it to an art form in Lies of Locke Lamora that I, I, I am, this is, this takes nothing away from Matthew Stover, who is a lot of fun to read. If you, if you enjoy colorful profanity then this is really <laughs> something right he does a great job i'm not taking anything away from him to say that i see where scott lynch read this and went oh i'll take it from here and elevated it further look there is no doubt in my mind the single funniest line ever put to pen in a fantasy book starts with nice bird <laughs> Yeah, okay. And ends, well, we'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I will say another one of my contenders is in this book. It is on like page 2. <laughs> okay. Kane is is uh using his his uh like he calls it a monocular. Um and he oh, says, man. you know, that's them. He he's he's watching the dust cloud or you know. And Tazar says, "You're sure?" How can you be sure? And he says, I could quote Sun Tzu at her. Dust high and sharp will be chariots. Dust low and wide is infantry. But instead I shrug and hand her the monocular. If Sun Tzu had ever seen infantry like this, he would have crapped his silk effing pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is pretty good. I'm like, the, that's page two. In fact, that's page one of the book. Is it really? He starts off with that. That's awesome. You know what kind of book you're getting when he starts off with that. <laughs> the, uh, it's the end smoking, uh, right? And adult language. Yeah, that's, yeah adult uh, language. <laughs> let's start with a little light adult language, and then uh, we'll get into the other stuff later. Uh, oh, that is pretty good. So good. 
All right, Drew. So uh, a little housekeeping and then a little bit of, uh, you know, final draft style stuff. Um, just reminder to everybody that this is a shared experience between the Legendarium and Inking Out Loud. So the next episode in which we discuss the second half of Kane Black Knife will be on Inking Out Loud. Make sure you're subscribed. Uh, go check it out. We will be there in, I, I don't know, uh, a couple weeks, maybe something like that. Yeah. Um, and then we'll do, we'll flip for, uh, what, what's it called? Kane. Kane's uh, Law. Kane's Law. Kane's Law. The first episode will be on Inking Out Loud. And then the finale will be here on uh, The Legendarium. All of these episodes are available on both Patreon feeds. So go check those out. Uh, if you're a patron of either show, then you get both episodes uh, in one place or both sets of episodes in one place. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then what was the last thing I was going to... Oh, that's right. Uh, final draft stuff. This isn't inking out loud, but still, Drew, uh, we didn't record this in the morning, so we have beers. <laughs> <laughs> and I had correct. one based on... I was telling you before we started... Um, I wanted to bring one on just based on the final chapter, which is where we see oh. the uh, the ritual, the black knife ritual of, uh, uh, I believe the phrase is manual insemination uh, yeah. going on with the Ogreloy. It's all very disturbing. Um, and Cain, so, so they have their religious ceremony going on. It's gross. And then Cain swears an oath and who does he swear the oath to is do we know you do not know well i don't i you assume might be able to figure it out but my assumption was taishal because uh taishal is a, a god in overworld and he's known eventually as the blade of taishal and i gather from the previous book that Taishal is not a nice God. This is not, <laughs> you're not cheering on the blade of Taishal. Uh, <laughs> and he makes this unholy uh, pact with a God, like get me off of this cross and you know, I, <laughs> whatever, I, I will be yours forever. Oh, and, I, I got the quote. It, it is, it is a quote. Okay. You know what? Before okay, good. Then before I do the suffering, beer. a sacrament, Okay, do, sorry, start again, start That's again. That's all I'll say. Start again. Make, thing, and my Kindle just... <laughs> make of this suffering, make of a this sacrament. suffering a sacrament. Um, and, oh, it's, uh, it's, it's gross and it's disturbing and it's really something. And I have a beer called Sacrament. And the only thing that kept me from using that on this episode you know, for a, a final draft type thing was the fact that it's a 750 milliliter bottle at like 7%. And I'm like, look, it's one in the afternoon. I'm I'm not going to do that to myself, but it was there in spirit. So instead, Drew, I am drinking this from Bohemian Brewery in mm. Salt Lake City or South Salt Lake City. Uh, they make amazing lagers. This one is a Doppelbach called Check You Later. Check you later. <laughs> C-Z-E-C-H. Okay, so check. U-L-A-T-O-R. Check you later. <laughs> it's, nice. it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And the name is is excellent. I was hoping to use this for retreat from the Boadekin because there would be a retreat, but we haven't had a retreat yet. So let's just call this, uh, uh, we'll call this looking ahead with the yeah. check you later. All right. Okay. All right. What okay. do you got? Well, I am drinking uh, a beer from Wiley Roots Brewing Company in Greeley, Colorado. This is a, a, a brewery that Lauren used to work at. Um, Imperial Lauren Chocolate being Stout. Your, your wife, for those who don't know. Yes, yeah, for, for those who, who don't know. Um, it's an Imperial Chocolate Stout with hazelnut added. 10.6%. So you, you um, just decided to go for it. You're like, one in the afternoon? Don't care. Imperial well, it's a, Let's do it. It's a very small can. Oh, okay. um, yeah. Uh, uh, appropriately small. Yeah. Uh, not only am I drinking this beer, but I'm drinking it in a Wiley Roots glass branded for this, this specific beer. Oh. Um, this goes out to the poor, poor group of adventurers who got stuck in, in hell. 
Um, it is called Midnight on the Run. Oh no! And Midnight. Oh, so, it's got cat eyes. Which is yeah, Midnight the, uh, is the name of the uh, brewery cat there at Wiley Roots. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's a little black cat. She is delightful. But uh, but yeah, Midnight on the Run. Oh boy, <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, excellent choice. Midnight on the Run. There's already been plenty of disturbing stuff in the, I was going to say the Mile High City, the Vertical City. Um, and there's, I'm sure, lots more to come. So oh, thanks, everybody. One of, one of the most badass moments in all of fiction is yet to come. Okay, I'll take your word <laughs> for it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Drew, thanks for coming. And uh, I'll see you in about a week. And maybe we'll make an episode then. Not sure, but uh, I'll see you then. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Craig.